0: Here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to a fine time for healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. You know, I do this show for the most part twice a week, and um, I just find myself always being at the beginning or the end of the month, and and it just goes so fast. So here we are at the end of July. It is just incredible. Um, I have a really great show for you today. Uh, my guest is something, someone that I really resonate with. We have a lot of the same views. So the question is, why does the Western world demonize aging? It's time to pivot our perspective, and today's special guest, Coach Michael Taylor, is here to share his insights on making the rest of our lives the best of our lives. There's good reason to embrace getting older. I agree. One study found that Americans who were more positive about aging lived 7.5 years longer. It is on this premise that Michael is encouraging his readers to embrace the second part of their lives. Michael's latest book, I'm Not Okay With Gray, How to Create an Extraordinary Life After 50, debunks the fear-based paradigm permeating society That equates aging with physical and mental decline. This book explores topics such as embracing spirituality, health and fitness, technology, joy, financial abundance, and way more. Michael is a certified life coach who has helped thousands of people transform their lives from the inside out by changing their attitudes about aging. Um, And Michael's going to tell us uh, his story, but, you know, he's the author of 11 books and he has so many done so many other wonderful things so I'm going to let him share that with you but um, good morning Michael welcome
1: good morning Randy so glad to be here I love the premise of your show and I really love what you're about and as you mentioned you know we're we're cut from the same cloth have the same philosophies about a lot of things so it's great to connect with like-minded people
0: Yes, it really is. I mean, really down to the spirituality and just the just the, the the life experiences and how we got to where we are and the fact that we're both in that part of our life, you know, where people would think you're too old to do anything. I mean, this I'm 63. At this age, people used to retire. I have no plans on doing that. I am I'm going strong and I plan on going strong for a long time. So um, tell us a little bit about your story and what brought you to where you are today.
1: Well, let's go back a little bit. So I was born in the inner city projects of Corpus Christi, Texas, to a single mom with six kids. And we were basically the poster children for poverty back in the 60s. And when I was in the 11th grade, I had a guy convince me that I could get rich selling vacuum cleaners, so I decided to drop out of high school to pursue this dream of becoming, becoming rich, which was a really poor choice. But fortunately, uh, I, I landed a job with this building supply company, and I worked extremely hard. I climbed the corporate ladder pretty quickly. And at the age of 23, I was living the American dream. I had the house, the wife, the 2.5 kids and all of that, and by society standards, I had succeeded. And within approximately a six-and-a-half-year time frame, that American dream turned into the American nightmare as I went through a divorce, bankruptcy, foreclosure, a deep, deep state of depression. I was actually homeless for two years living out of my car. But during the darkest period of my life, I received a miracle. I was sitting up late one night because I was too depressed to sleep, and I remember sitting at the edge of my bed looking across the room at my bookshelf when I happened to notice that every book on my bookshelf had something to do with getting rich or making money. And as I looked at those books, this question just popped in my head. Michael, what if you took all the energy and effort you've used in trying to get rich and simply figure out how to be happy? And as simplistic as that question may sound, it literally changed and saved my life in an instant. Something in me shifted, and all of a sudden I had this amazing clarity. And I realized in that moment that I was going to be able to rebuild my life and it was going to become extraordinary. So as a result of asking that question, I stopped reading books on getting rich and making money. I started reading books on psychology and philosophy and spirituality and metaphysics. And I went on this amazing journey of transformation. And as a result of that journey, I was able to rebuild my life. And so what I decided to do was to share the lessons that I learned along the way with others. And so I began writing. And so my commitment now is to share the lessons to support and empower others to create extraordinary lives.
0: What a great story. And so inspirational. It's just truly amazing. You know, a lot of people <clears throat> say to me, well, they may have parents or something that um, abuse them. And they will say to me, <clears throat> well, they had a tough childhood and they went through this and they went through that. And, You know, so there's, you know, of course they're going to be like they are. And I say, absolutely not. Because I meet enough people to know that you don't have to be a victim of your circumstance. And you're a perfect example of that. Perfect. So um, I read your book. It's not, I'm not okay with Gray. How to create an extraordinary life after 50 and I so agree that this is really the best time of our lives um, <clears throat> you know there's in the beginning of your book you talk about letting go of your need to meet other people's approval and to trust your gut for what was right for you this is so incredibly important um, can you elaborate on how you discovered that and what you discovered?
1: Well, let let me share first of all that I possibly had the worst childhood a child could have. I experienced every imaginable type of abuse a person could go through. Mm-hmm. For seven years, I was separated from my mom, had to live with my grandparents, and it was in that environment that I experienced all this abuse. And so what I've come to know is that the trauma that I experienced as a child set me up to be a people pleaser. Yes. Because what happened was my biggest issue was abandonment because when I was six years old, I had to go live with my grandparents. And so my mom, who was my wife, took me to live with my grandparents. And so I had these – I had this – really abandoned the issue because I didn't trust people because in my mind at six years old when it happened, I I concluded that people who love you leave you and therefore I created this this pattern, this pattern of trying to please people to keep them from leaving me. And so it was a, a healing process of understanding how that event shaped my belief systems about myself. And through my own healing process, I recognized or I learned how to, number one, love myself and not blame myself for what my mom did. And that was part of that transformational journey. It was about really healing my own heart, healing from the childhood trauma, because that's what set me up to be that people pleaser. And so that was part of the process of transformation that I mentioned earlier, was healing some of that childhood trauma.
0: And, you know, people-pleasing is one of the major things that children do when they don't know how to deal with their situation. Um, And the problem with that is that when that's all you know, and that's the only way you handle life as a child, that's the only way you know how to handle life as an adult. And so I was a people-pleaser. So you recognize that and, and made changes. So you learned that. You had to internally validate um, and trust your gut, right?
1: Yeah, and, you know, I've had lots of experiences in my life that have allowed me to rebuild it. And one of the things, uh, shall I say, possibly the most powerful thing that I've ever done, was well, there's a guy named John Bradshaw who used to do a workshop called Healing Your Inner Child. And... I did his three-day workshop, and it's what really allowed me to, first of all, identify when I started becoming a people pleaser, which was during that childhood trauma experience. So his work um, is the foundation of my transformational journey. Uh, in the book, I talk about the power of making peace with your past, and I think that's something that a lot of us may be really afraid to do, but. In my experience, it's the most important work that we can do is to understand and recognize what set in motion our dysfunctional behaviors. And it generally starts in childhood. And so if we're willing to heal some of that, then we can become free.
0: I so agree with you. I mean, it's imperative that we all do that because all the patterns that, we, that show up in adulthood were for excuse me, formed in childhood, I completely agree with you. Um, And yeah, often that there's that the, the, the inner child holds a lot of answers. It gives us a lot. So I'm really glad that you were able to do that and get in touch with that. So your book is about sort of, you know, aging and you talk about, The midlife crisis. And you say in order to understand how we get trapped in it, um, you share this metaphor called the drift. What is the drift?
1: (laughs) The drift is the metaphor for society. So imagine that there's this stream of water flowing. And what happens is as human beings, we just float along the societal current of conformity, doing everything that society says we're supposed to do to be happy. For example, when I was married and had a wife and the 2.5 kids and all of that, I was stuck in the drift because I was doing what I thought society says I was supposed to do to be happy. So I was stuck in this drift. I hadn't really taken the time to really understand who I was as a human being. I was just floating aimlessly along this current, just doing what society says. And so I believe the universe is perfect. And sometimes the universe has to take drastic measures to get our attention when we aren't doing what we were put on the planet to do. So for me, my divorce was that, what I call universal slap upside the head to get my attention, to get me out of the drift. It was the universe's way of saying, you aren't doing what you were put here to do. So here's what we need to do. Unfortunately, it might be a little uncomfortable. It might be a little painful, but it's necessary for you to wake up to discover who you really are. So I was able to get out of the drift and it began with a really adverse, or shall I say, a lot of pain. <laughs> that's, that's what really triggered me to get out of the drift because what I've come to know is there's really only two things that cause caused person to want to change. One is pain, and the other is what I call divine discontent, which is that internal feeling of knowing and knowing that something's just not right. And so we have to learn to listen to that. And when we do, that's how we begin the process of getting out of the drift. Wow.
0: You know, you talked about being hit upside the head, and, you know, I call it the two-by-four. Um <clears throat> and it really is what wakes people up. And people say, why am I going through this? What did I do in my past life? How did I piss off God? You know, what did I do? How, why was I, was I such a bad person? You know, and I'm like, no, you know, this is part of your journey. This is, you know, this is you're now recognizing what, what you came here for. Um, and I know for me, I needed the two by four because I wasn't listening. And most people don't right away. Most people don't hear what the universe, what God is trying to tell them. And we poo-poo it and we just keep pushing forward, thinking that we have all this control. And the truth of the matter is, it isn't until we let go and allow that we actually grow and change and find happiness. Um, we, I think everyone, or most everyone, has to have these drastic measures that motivate us. To sort of get us back on track.
1: You um, know, and interestingly <clears throat> enough, I, if I can, when that happened, um, obviously it was, for example, my, let's let's just talk about my divorce, which was that cosmic slap upside the head. What's my divorce? When it happened, it was the most challenging, traumatic, painful, confusing time of my life. So, wake up calls. Are designed to be uncomfortable (laughs) because sometimes again it's the only way the universe can get our attention so for those of us for those of the listeners who are listening if you're in the middle of adversity challenge and it's really painful and it doesn't look like you can get out of it I will assert that there's a universe is simply getting your attention and on the other side of all that pain all that confusion is a joy that you can't even imagine right now, but it's possible for you. So for me, as I look back in retrospect, as difficult and as painful as my divorce was, it was by far the best thing that had ever happened to me because it challenged me for the first time in my life to stop looking outside of myself and to begin the journey of looking inside of myself. And that's when transformation occurs.
0: That's so powerful michael <clears throat> you're you're absolutely right um, You cite um a study that I thought was really interesting. You say an extensive study in the u s a and this is this is um kind of contrary to what most people believe. Um, this is from the New England Journal of Medicine. You say the most productive time in human life is between sixty and seventy years of age. The second most productive stage of human beings is 70 to 80 years of age. And the third is 50 to 60 years of age. I thought that was so interesting. What do you think, um, do you have a way of or a theory that explains that?
1: Well, again, we live in a culture that promotes youth uh, above aging. And we, we, we think that. We base everything, shall I say, on externals, for example, how good somebody looks, you know, how active they might be. And we think that youth is, 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 the, is the epitome of living, when in reality, it isn't until we get older that we really become, shall I say, productive. Because when we look at the younger uh, – during our younger years, for example, for myself, I'll speak for myself, it's all about party. It's all about having fun, and so what do we do? We're trying to party. We're trying to have fun in our 20s, and again, we start getting serious about life in our 30s maybe, but we we spend the first few years you know, having a good time, but see, society has conditioned us to believe that partying is really having a good time, when in reality, it's really not, (laughs) because when you start talking about having a good time, I think of things like serenity. And I think of things like enjoying nature. I think of things like having connections with people. And those are the things that really nurture us. So I think what we really long for is connection. And instead of partying, if we really focus our attention on being who we were born to be, that's when we recognize that the first 30, 40 years of our lives are really setting the stage for the remainder of our lives, and they should be better. Our second half of life should be better because we're more mature, we have better experience. Financially, we're usually doing a lot better. So it really points to the fact that, as you mentioned, between 60 and 70 are the most productive years in terms of our financial stability, generally our relationships, and our health and fitness.
0: I mean, it is for me. So I, I, I that's why I that's why I love that um, that statistic because that's what I found really my 60s have been
1: the best time in my life. Um, but again, y- you know don't, you, you don't you don't you don't really see that showcased in the media, right? What do you see in the media? You see youth, you see you know the the youngsters, but you don't see the mature. And I don't want to use the term seniors. <laughs> But shall I say, the more mature adults are really having the best times of their lives because a lot of them are now, you know, uh, empty nesters. The kids are out of the house, and, and then they can kind of hang out and do the things that they've always wanted to do. And that's why I think, as they mentioned, 60 and 70 is the m- most productive years of our lives, or should be anyway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's not the time to lay down and start dying and slowing down. Absolutely not. Um So I I really, another thing I really um, liked is, so you talk about asking the question about who are you? And um, this is something that I do with with many people. And you know, I'm sure you know that when you ask somebody that, they become completely tongue-tied. They don't know what to say. And usually they will describe what they do, what their role is, what their religion is, what, you know, um, the labels that that have been put on them. But I say, no, 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 no. Who are you? And I think that this is such an important um, question for us to ask ourselves. So why do you think this is important?
1: Well, again, if you would have asked me that question, you know, 25 years ago, who are you? The first thing I would have done is I would have given you a list of labels. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a manager, you know, those types of things. And that's typically what we do as human beings. But it wasn't until I went on this amazing journey of transformation that I came to a different understanding. And I'm a huge fan of a guy named Wayne Dyer. you familiar with Wayne mm. Dyer? Of course. <laughs> Wayne Dyer is, is, is possibly my, uh, probably my most favorite mentor. And what I learned from Wayne Dyer um, really sort of helped me answer that question, who am I? And Wayne Dyer says, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. So for me, when you ask, well, who am I? Well, first and foremost, I see myself as a divine manifestation of the infinite intelligence that created and is Still creating this amazing universe that we live in in other words I am a spiritual being I am a divine expression of God that's how I see myself so I'm no longer just this label this title of Michael Taylor author entrepreneur motivational speaker the true essence the core of who I am is a spiritual being
0: yes I <laughs> I completely agree with you um, and it's it's really important that we begin to shift our thinking to that. But you know, you talk a lot about uh, in your book. You talk about religion and spirituality, and I want to get into that a little bit um, a little bit further. Um, but this is why do you think we have such a hard time um, embracing the idea that we are divine, spiritual beings with unlimited potential? Well,
1: Again, if if you look at Western culture, Western culture was primarily driven by Christianity. And so Christianity in a lot of its forms has promoted this idea that God is something separate from us. God is somewhere up in the clouds, up in heaven or whatever. So we've, we've accepted this false belief that God is outside of us. And so collectively, as a culture, that has driven most of our belief systems. So it takes a courageous person to be willing to challenge some of those cultural conditionings and, as I mentioned, get out of the drift because religion is part of the drift. If you're stuck in a religion, you're stuck in a drift. But if you're courageous enough to go against the flow and ask yourself some deeper questions about who God is or what God is, then you start shifting your beliefs and identity from a human being having a spiritual experience to a spiritual being having a a spiritual being, having a human experience. So what we have to be willing to do is simply gain the courage to ask ourselves those deeper questions to help transform some of the negative limiting beliefs that Western culture has put on us, if that makes any sense.
0: It makes total sense. I'm right there with you. Um, I think that's so important. And, a lot of people, for, for a lot of people, religion is a comfort, and I feel like it's, it's a defined life, meaning that, um, you know, the answers are in the book, basically. The answers are in the book, whereas um, stepping out of that means that you have to define it completely your way, and you're right, it does take courage, it does take a big-picture mind. And for me, that's the only thing that has ever worked because I don't like my, my beliefs defined for me. I like to create them based on um, what fulfills me and what makes sense to me. And you talk about uh, religion, about not making sense to you as a child. What about it didn't make sense?
1: Well, when I was a kid, I was probably... 11 to 12, and I'll never forget my grandparents forcing me to get baptized. And my grandparents were very, very religious people, but they never went to church, but they made me go to church. And so there was an inconsistency <laughs> there that I didn't, I didn't like. But I remember going into the, the church the day I was supposed to get baptized, and I remember being absolutely terrified because in my mind... I had heard, you know, my grandparents used to call me a sinner for some of the things that I did. And so in my mind, my little 10-year-old mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm a sinner. If I go to this thing and this guy puts me in the water, what if he drowns me? And <laughs> I remember thinking, I was a sinner, so maybe she was going to drown me, So <laughs> I was terrified. So I remember being in the water. I remember being dunked. I had no idea what this whole thing about accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior meant. That was beyond my comprehension. All I knew was that when the guy pulled me up out of the water, I was still alive, and I was happy. That's so cute. I was happy. And so even though I didn't have any kind of religious conversion per se, I was just happy that he didn't kill me. (laughs) <laughs> so this whole like this, this this whole idea about God and Jesus and all the negativity it just it just as a kid it just didn't make sense to me. So as I got older, um, and I was living with my mom, my mom used to make us go to church on Sundays, and I would sit in church. And I'd listen to the ministers, and a lot of the stuff just didn't make any sense to me. For example, they would always talk about. God being all-powerful and, you know, the source of everything. And I always wondered, if your God is so powerful, why are you always begging for money? <laughs> <laughs> I, couldn't, I, 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 couldn't under, I couldn't understand it because I went to this really small Baptist church, and I remember they would pass the plate around, you know, take the tithes and offerings, and if they didn't reach their goal for the year, they would come back out, and, and the minister would sort of put this guilt trip on everybody to, to pass the plate around again to get more money. And I'm thinking, to my, I'm thinking to myself, now what kind of God is that? That you number one having to beg for money, and it just it just didn't work for me. And so when I finally got out on my own and moved out, you know, obviously I stopped going to church because it didn't make any sense to me, and. It wasn't until my divorce that I decided to go back to church because I was trying to deal with all the pain that I was in. And so in going back to church, I went back to Baptist because that was what I was raised in. And there was still this, this, these unanswered questions. And so for a couple of weeks, things seemed to be good. But then those questions I had about God as a kid came up. And then this is when I became an atheist. <laughs> so I go to church one Sunday. And I asked the minister, I said, look, can we meet after church because I have something I need to ask you? The minister says, sure. So we meet in his office. And so I, I go to the minister and I said, look, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical situation and a hypothetical question. I said, and this, your answer to this question is going to determine whether or not I stay with your church. And he looked at me kind of puzzled, puzzled. And I go, he goes, okay. And I said, look, I want you to just imagine that there are two people. And they're born at exactly the same moment. One is born in wealth. One is born in poverty. Okay? The person that's born in wealth goes through life and does all the wonderful things. He's just a good guy. The person that's born in poverty is just the opposite. He's robbing, he's stealing, and possibly even kill somebody. He's a bad guy. Okay? So let's imagine that they die at exactly the same moment and they end up in heaven or at the pearly gates, if you will. So they end up there, and so there at the entrance to the pearly gates is God. So God had this book of life right there, and so he calls the guy that was born up to poverty, up to the podium. He looks through his book of life, and he says, ooh, he did a, really, a lot of really bad things, but I'm a forgiving God, so if you'll accept my son Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can come into heaven. And so the guy says, sure, I'm sorry for what I did. I repent of my sins. I accept your son Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And boom, he gets to go into heaven. So now God calls up the guy that was born in wealth. He walks up to God, and God looks through this book of life, and he goes, wow, you were the model citizen. You were a perfect reflection of me. Now, it's good that you did those things, but there's only one question. Did you accept my son Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And so God looks up at God and says, well, can't really do that because here's the problem. First of all, I didn't even believe you existed. And so why would I accept your son because I didn't even know you were here? So I can't do that. And so God looks at him and says, well, I'm sorry to hear that, and you have to spend an eternity in hell. And so I looked at the minister and I said, look, is that how your God works? And he says, absolutely. He says, that's what the Bible says. And in that moment, it was like years of frustration came out. And I said, "Dude, are you serious? Can you re- do you?" Re-? I said, "That is the most idiotic, illogical, irrational thing." I, I said, "That makes absolutely no sense." I said, "Why would a God do so? I said, "That just doesn't make sense." I said, "You know what? No disrespect, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm, I'm leaving your church. I simply choose to accept this idea." that I'm willing to burn in hell for an eternity because I don't believe that's how God would work, and I'm willing to take that chance. Thank you. I'm leaving. <laughs> Goodbye. And I walked away. And it was in that moment that I became an atheist.
0: You know, I love the questions that you asked because it's so poignant. I mean, it, you just really got to the heart of all of this. For me, you know, I found that um, there's so much that say God, you know, God loves you, God supports you, God's there for you. But then you do one little thing wrong and you're punished. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not love. And (laughs) you have to and you have to live your life, you know, and like you said, you know, so you may sin here and there. All you got to do is say, I sinned and then it's erased. I mean, come on. So, you know, I'm I'm more of a believer that of the life review that we meet when we pass on where we review everything we've ever done. I think we are the judge and jury of ourselves at that point. And we have to reconcile the things that we've done to hurt other people. Um So, and I think that that's, you know, we have to heal and work through that. That to me makes much more sense. I'd rather be my own judge and jury than have some, you know, false sense of um, what I can and cannot do according to the tenets of, you know, some kind of organized religion. So I'm right there with you. I'm so there with you. Um, (laughs) I, let's see, let's talk about the mind. Okay, so you say the mind is the element of a person that enables them to be aware of the world and their experiences, to think and to feel the faculty of consciousness and thought. Okay, and you discuss the difference between the mind and the brain. So let's just briefly do that. What is the difference between the mind
1: and the brain? Well, if you're not familiar with Bruce Lipton, Um, make yourself aware of Bruce Lipton. He is, this guy has an amazing way of explaining it uh, that really helped me wrap my mind around this whole idea. And so for me, when I think about the brain, obviously we have this mass of of matter in our heads called our brain. And there's, you know, neurological synapses and things that fire and, you know, that's how the brain works. But the mind, I believe is actually connected to source. And when I say source, I mean God, infinite intelligence, whatever you want to call it. And so whenever we are in a creative, loving mode, we're usually in our mind, not our brain, because our mind is the source of our feelings. It's where it's the essence of who we are. And again, our brain is just like a tape recorder. It just records information and is what some people might call the conscious mind. So, what we have to be willing to do is understand that you have the conscious mind, which we call the, we can call it the brain, and we have the subconscious mind, which I 'll call the mind, which is our connection to source. When we are first born, we operate from the subconscious mind, or what, let's, let, me, let me rephrase this. This is, this, is, this is another way to think about it. I think it's a little easier to grasp. So I believe we have what, what I call the little less self and the big S self. The big S self is our connection to divinity. The little S self is part of what some people might call the ego. So the ego could be connected to the conscious mind, and the uh, big S self, the divine self, is the universal mind. It's God. It's what what we're connected to. So what happens is we have to understand that when we're – here's a a picture so imagine that when you're first born you have this big s self and little s self so imagine there's two of you that show up all imagine you in this all white room and there's two of you in this room and in this room there's a cot, okay this cot where you can lay down on so when we're first born the big s self stands up and the little s self is laying on the cot and so the big s self when you're first born is taking in all this information and seeing what's going on. And whenever we start getting hurt, the little little self's job is to protect us. So what happens is when we experience pain, the little self gets off the cot, the big self lays on the cot. The little self now is doing all it can to protect us. This is how the ego is formed. Its entire job is to protect us okay so as we go through life we have this balance or we have this dance the little s self and the big s self so when we learn that the ego's job is simply to protect us it's not a bad thing it's just there to protect us we we if we can learn to understand that we have to awaken the big s self because the ego's job that, that's been protecting us is how we navigate through life. It's where all of the mechanisms come from whenever we experience pain. And so, unfortunately, most people never awaken the big S self. They leave it on the cot. And they're controlled by the little S self, which I'll call the conscious mind. The process of transformation is putting the little S self back on the cot and having the big S self controlling our lives because that's how we're how and where we're connected to divine intelligence that makes perfect
0: yes perfect visual i really like that yeah i actually had this um this flagged. what he says you know um during the first seven to ten years our subconscious minds work like a video recorder and you know it records all the external events in our life and it begins associating feelings memories and beliefs with those events and this really goes back to what we were talking about how important the inner child um inner child work is <clears throat> but i i like what um, i like what you just said i think that's a perfect perfect visualization yes we have to get out of the mind and and allow um our superconscious to reach and grow and learn and explore um, and not be so simple. You know, uh, I have a thought um, <clears throat> right after we finished talking about the God thing. <clears throat> and this was really at the core of uh, one of the things that really made me turn against religion. And I thought to myself, so we are humans and it is human to err. We come here. We're not perfect beings. We come here to err. Um, and we make mistakes. So why should we be judged and punished for the reason we're actually here? <laughs> that never yeah. made sense to me. That never made any sense. Uh, <clears throat> oh my gosh. Okay.
1: Yeah, and and, and so you know it's it's interesting because I think there's so much negativity and shame and 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 disconnection that comes from religion um, that I think we miss we missed the whole point, which is spirituality. And I define spirituality as the moment-to-moment recognition and acknowledgement of my connection to something greater than myself. And so it is this connection um, with source that drives everything that I do. And so when I start talking about the big S self, the big S self is that connection to infinite intelligence. And so it is the source, I believe, of, for example, creativity. Uh, One thing that I've learned over the years as I've done my meditation practice and and my own growth is that when I can get my little self out of the way and connect to my big self, there's an infinite flow of creativity. And so for me, what happens is when you connect to source in this way, then you recognize that In essence, what you're now doing when you start being creative is you're simply downloading from divine intelligence. For example, as a writer, I love writing. And when I write, I get into this zone where it's literally like I'm downloading information and it's just pouring through me. So I've written a book per year for the last eight years.
0: Oh, my gosh, that's a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so – It's really what occurs and it's possible for anyone who's willing to make that connection to that which is greater than themselves, and again, which I'll call the big S self, because the big S self is the source of all creativity. So if you've ever written a book or if you've ever written a song or if you've ever painted a picture or if you've ever said nature and just experienced in the moment presence, awareness that's when we're connected to source. But we have to get that little less self out of the way because the little less self's job is to protect us, and it doesn't want us to. Now, I don't want to say it doesn't want us. Its job, unfortunately, keeps us from being connected to that. And that is why it's so important, I believe, to learn to be in the stillness, to learn to be fully present in the moment because that's where God exists. I'm
0: so glad that you said that. That's where the entire flow is. Uh, when I write, I'm downloading. I know I'm downloading. And and the reason is, yeah, I might do some research and I might write some thoughts down and everything like that. But when I read what I wrote, I'm like, I didn't write that. Sometimes exactly. I look back and I write. You know, I'm like, whoa, 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 that's big. You know, <laughs> I didn't write that. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I do the same thing with my work as coaching, coaching narcissistic um, abuse issues and co- codependency and things like that. And, you know, I, I'm i connected. So it's coming through me, you know, and and it's a wonderful way to work with people because you everything's customized to that person. And I say it's never mm-hmm. about me. None of this is about me. There's no ego here. I'm just doing what spirit is working through me that's you know and i'm so happy to hear you say that it's great people say oh no no randy you need to take credit for i'm like all right you know maybe a little but for the most part (laughs) for the most part i really um i really thank spirit for for all that i'm i am and all that i do
1: um yeah and 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 that has absolutely nothing to do with religion see and this is what i think what people get tripped up is because once again religion has Promoted this idea that there is something separate from us; that this God is something separate, this it's this entity outside of us. But the reality is, the entity is you. It's it's that divine part of you. That is that, for example, as a writer, what I know is that divine intelligence uses me as a tool to express itself. So God is expressing itself through me as me. And yes. when I learn to get out of the way, then there's an infinite amount of creativity that can express.
0: Right. And and ever-flowing love and um, just you know, I I remember years ago I've always been, you know, I grew up as a codependent. I was raised and I became a codependent and all that you know. And um, as a codependent you're a giver. You want to give, 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 give. But the problem is it doesn't work because If you don't love yourself, if you don't rise above that, and you don't continually fill your well with love, you have nothing to give. And so when you give, you feel tired and drained. So, you know, it's really important to connect with all of these things because it can make you so much, you know, so much better at the things that you want to do. Um, Let's see, where did I want to go with this? Okay. Okay. you know you you were talking about in your book you talked about um, you thought that God was angry at black people. Yes. talk a little bit about what that what you were thinking and what you discovered or what your grandfather helped you to to discover
1: well again i I was born in the sixties, so I remember the civil rights movement and all of that and and once again, my grandparents were very religious people, and they were always talking about Jesus. And we had the, you know, the sculpture on the wall of Jesus on the cross, and we had the, you know, the picture of Jesus, the white Jesus on the wall. <laughs> and when I, when, I, when I looked at all the stuff that was happening to black people with, you know, the, the dogs and the water hoses and all of that, and I was like, well, why doesn't God help black people? Why, you know, why is he so angry? And, and this was, you know, a little 10-year-old, 12-year-old mind. But I, what I saw was the fact that black people were being abused, and black people were also very religious. So I couldn't make the connection Or in my mind, I just thought God was just mad at black people. And so when I asked my grandfather that, That question specifically, I asked him, I said, grandfather, why is God so mad at at black people? And, And I'll never forget him saying this. He says, you know, God's not mad at black people. He says, you know, some things we may not understand, he says, but just know that God has a plan, and God's plan is perfect, and we just have to be willing to accept that plan. Now, when he said it, it didn't help me at all because I still felt the same way but now in retrospect it makes perfect sense because he was absolutely correct god does have a perfect plan the universe is perfect and all the things that we look at outside of ourselves like um racism and and things like that it's still in god's infinite wisdom it created a system that is absolutely perfect and so From my perspective, and this is Michael Taylor's belief system, is that I firmly believe in reincarnation. And I know that we have different experiences as spiritual beings. And so for me, as a man who happens to be black, I know that I was born black for a specific reason. I know that everything that I do, I know for most of my life I've been accused of being a sellout and not being black because of some of the the ways that I think. But I know with absolute certainty that I chose this body, this color, this environment that I was born in because I needed to learn some lessons to become the best version of myself. And in those lessons, I I have become that. I have become the best version of myself. I have become who I was born to be. And it's been an amazing journey, but I now see the world through the lens of spirit. And through the lens of spirit, I know that there's a perfection and I know that everything does happen for a reason. And I know that when I open my mind and heart to what my reason for being here is, then I connect to my divine purpose and I am now following that purpose.
0: Oh my gosh. That's, that's perfect. I love the way you said that. And I completely, once again, I agree with you. You're like my spiritual twin. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think, I think exactly the same way that you do. So, okay. Let's move on to the Hawkins scale. Um, so you say, um, okay. So it taught, the Hawkins scale is about how we vibrate. Um, how our mm-hmm. energy vibrates. Can you talk about that? Because I think that's really
1: interesting. Yeah. Now, first of all, let me share, obviously, what my favorite scientist is at Albert Einstein. And Albert Einstein said, everything is energy. That's just the way that it is. And that's the frequency of the reality that you want to create. And there's no way you can't create that reality. It can be no other way. And then he said, this isn't philosophy. This is physics. So there's a science behind energy. And what I love about Hawkins' scale is he, he, he created this scale, and it's from basically 20 to 1,000. So just imagine 20 being at the bottom, 1,000 at the top. So he says all people vibrate at a specific level. So the average person, he says, vibrates at approximately 200. Now, when we experience a lot of trauma and pain like I did when I was a kid, when I was beginning this journey, I was probably vibrating at a 50 because I was so filled with toxic shame and just I'm not good enough. And, and all this. so I was vibrating very, very low. As I went on this journey and started doing my healing work, I started climbing up this ladder. So I went from a 50 to maybe a 100 to maybe a 200. And so as I continued this healing journey, I have now moved up. And I could easily comfortably say I'm probably, if I were to put a number on it, somewhere between seven and 800 now because I have this feeling of joy most of the time. And that's how you know where you are on the scale is by how you feel. And so what we have to be willing to do is to heal our heart so that we can raise our vibration and climb up this ladder. And like I said, most people are probably around 200. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. On this scale of energy, we will always attract to us the same level of energy that we are. For example, if I'm vibrating at a 200 and I'm looking to find my soulmate, I will only attract someone at 200 or lower. So if I want to create a great relationship, I first have to increase my vibration so I want to move from a 200 to maybe a 300 or maybe to a 400 because then I will attract to me that same level of vibration. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm sure most of the people who are listening here are familiar with the law of attraction, and that's all the law of attraction is. You attract to you what you are, not what you want. And so it's all about the energy level that you're vibrating at. Yes.
0: Yes. And just, you know, for reference, because I'm looking at the book so I can see what this Hawkins scale is. But the, the lowest on the Hawkins sh- um, scale is like 20, and that's shame. And then guilt is 30, apathy is 50, so forth and so on. Anger is 150, neutrality is 250, and then acceptance is 350. And then you move into reason, love, joy, peace, and enlightenment. So, um Yeah, I like what you said about, um, you know, attracting the same level of energy that you're at. And it's a very good reason to want to make yourself better and better because um, then you attract that kind of energy into your life. So coming down to the end, but I want to bring it back to um, this whole idea of aging. And um, in in Chapter 7, you talk about embracing joy, passion and purpose. And you say that this is definitely one of the most important chapters of the book. So you start with this quote from George Bernard Shaw that says, we don't stop playing because we get old. We get old because
1: we stop playing. So true. Yeah. And so the key, it it, it comes back to the the Hawking scale. So when we're playing, we're at a high vibrational level. We're into love. We're into caring. We're into positive energy. And so when we stop playing, again, our energy drops. And so one of the things I think we have to do, especially as we get older, is to maintain that high energy, maintain that, you know, that that level of energy where we feel alive. And I think more than anything, that's what we want. We want to feel alive. And feeling alive is the result of climbing up the scale you're not going to feel alive simply because you buy a new car, simply because you find the perfect mate. All of those external things are great. Nothing wrong with them? But if you want to climb up that scale, if you want to keep playing, it's all about how you feel. That is the absolute key. It's the feeling. And so we have to get to the point where we feel on a regular basis the positive emotions, the positive energies. Now, nothing wrong with feeling sad occasionally, feeling angry occasionally. Those are natural feelings. But ultimately, if we're going to make the rest of our lives the best of our lives, we have to learn to play. We have to learn to have fun. You know, because we we spend so much time doing, 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 but what we really want to do is be, 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 be. We need to embrace our beingness. Our beingness Is our feelings. And so healing is the key. If we have unresolved emotional trauma and conflict that we haven't dealt with, it's going to keep us from climbing up that scale. It's going to keep us from raising our vibration. It's going to keep us from playing. So it comes back to, number one, being willing to make peace with your past, to make sure you move past any trauma that you may still be holding on to, because it's all about energy. If you experience a lot of trauma early on or even now, and you haven't released that trauma, that's negative energy. Now when I say negative energy, that doesn't mean bad, okay? it's not a judgment. Negative energy is just that. It's negative. So what you want to do is you want to remove negative energy. You want to stay connected to positive energy. Because when we're in positive energy, we're connected to source. And so that's, that's where the playing comes from. We have to be willing to get in touch with our feelings so that we can play full out.
0: Perfect. Perfect way to end the show. That's such great advice, Michael. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you, you have made such a great case for um, self-love, self-improvement, um, and really the limited, limitless possibilities that we have in life, the limits that, you know, we put on ourselves are, are just that. They're, they're self-imposed. And we need to be able, you know, I find um, in my work a lot of times what keeps people stuck is their, their feeling that they have control <laughs> over what happens in their life. <laughs> and um, it's a real hard concept for people to understand that that's exactly what's stopping the flow. That's ex- exactly what's stopping um, things from working out the way that you. So when I can get someone to release that, oh, my gosh, things happen so quickly. Um, so, yeah, I lo- like I said a million times, I love your philosophy. So we're talking about your book, I'm Not Okay With Gray. How to create an extraordinary life after fifty. So, Michael, I know that you do private coaching. What? Um, how can we get in touch with you and tell us about your website?
1: Yeah, the best place to reach me is at CoachMichaelTaylor.com. That's Coach Michael M I C H A E L. CoachMichaelTaylor.com, or you can find out all about. All the work that I do, you can find all my books and everything. And if someone is inspired and they want to get a copy of the book and they order from that site, if they use the coupon code NOT OK, it takes $5 off the price of the book, so they can get the book for only $11. Bucks. Um, so, again, it's just NOT OK coupon code, and they can get the book for only 11 bucks.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Okay. It's been so good talking to you today. Thank you. I'm I'm uplifted. It's it's really nice to, yeah. to to connect with your energy today and um thank you. I'm 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 happy for you that, you know, where you've come in your life and I can relate so much to it. So, I hope that you inspired people today. I actually more than hope, I think that you did. <laughs> so, um thank
1: you so much. But, so just 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 remember Not okay with great is simply a mindset. So for all the listeners, I'm not okay okay with great simply means that you're not going to concede to what society says getting older is all about. So embrace the idea, I'm not okay with great in a positive way. Okay. We shall do that.
0: And I and I, I color my gray, so I'm not okay with gray either. <laughs> I do, too. I do, too. <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful too. thing. Okay, good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. All right, Michael, have a wonderful day. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate the time.
0: Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife.com at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, dot com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.